How are you? Um, look, I think I'm almost human again. Uh, after I had a camp for work, um, it's called Easter Madness, but it's the weekend before Easter, which I think is the madness. <coughs> um, <laughs> but the thing that I learned about myself more than anything else is that I am not match fit anymore. I am not camp fit by any extreme. Uh, now, look, Steve, I... Mm. I, I don't mean to be you know, judgy about your life choices. Oh no, be be judgy. I but, am. But, but surely a Christian organisation would know when Easter is, and planning something the week before Easter and calling it Easter shows a, a lack of preparation. And <laughs> could it be Palm Sunday madness? <laughs> well, this is the hook, right? Is that as a part of the process, we acknowledge in putting the camp together that. Easter is a critical time where we would want to have our youth and young adult people in church. And in particularly southeast Queensland Christendom, except for last year, for the last 20 something years or whatever it was, there's been this massive Christian music festival called Easter Fest on, which not ironically actually ran on Easter. <laughs> well, look, you know, full points to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't called Easter Fest initially, it wasn't called the Australian Gospel Music Festival, didn't mention the word Easter but still ran at Easter. Um, so that ended. But the, the critical issue was that while that was on, not even like all of young Christendom, everybody basically went, thanks church, we're going to Toowoomba for Easter because Easter fest. Right. So that gutted congregations. But in some situations, leaving them with like no musicians to play and all of that sort of thing because they're all at Toowoomba, either playing or watching people play. Um so when that ended and we decided to move this camp, which was originally called Summer Madness and happened in summer, uh, to Easter, the decision was taken that we won't do it at Easter because that will you know, remove people from congregations we want to have them involved. So we'll have it the weekend before, but still follow the Easter story across the camp. Right. I get it. Now... now Again, I don't. I, I'm asking from a point of ignorance here. Is Palm Sunday a big yes. thing for, for the for the non-Catholic churches? Because it was massive, massive when I was growing up. Look, it almost depends on the variant. I'm learning in that, like I grew up in the Uniting Church, and that's who I work for now. And we, the Uniting Church, follows. I guess all of the big Christian holidays in that they are designed to be important in the lectionary, um, in, you know, in the times when we talk about what we talk about. So Easter is big, obviously. Christmas is big. Advent, the, the weeks leading into Christmas. Yep, uh, yep. Palm Sunday is big. Um, Pentecost is big, sort of 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. Um, like those kinds of things, all big. So we make a bit of a deal out of it. We might dress up in Palm Sunday's case, like in the Catholic Church, put palm fronds around. People might lay them on the, the aisle floor and that sort of thing. Cool. But I've noticed that as uh, Christendom has become, look, I'll say air quotes popular, um, but like you know, your, your evangelical churches have stepped in, but even your Baptist churches, which is where I go to at the moment, um, yeah, not so much. It's been a very much not a, like 
for the part we've been going to the Baptist church we're going to now for uh, 12 years. And honestly, in those 12 years, 12 Easter's, maybe twice, has anyone mentioned it was Palm Sunday? Wow. That, yes, that's very different. As a Uniting Church kid, that really grated on me the first eight times. Because, like, guys, this is kind of... It's, it's, it's part of the Easter story. There's because, a man on a donkey, for God's sake. Uh, being, like, worshipped and hailed as a king. Like, just some dude from Nazareth coming in on, a, like, a donkey that they borrowed... Um, <laughs> Where people are throwing their cloaks and stuff. And this was part of the reason that, like, the thing that tipped um, the Pharisees over the edge to say, we have to get rid of this guy. He's going to cause a revolution and not the one that we wanted. There you go. Yeah. It's... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to Theology 101. <laughs> um, so, as far as Easter madness happening on the weekend of Palm Sunday, the weekend before Easter... Mm. Look, it kind of hurt my head a little bit as well, but it wasn't. That wasn't the thing that hurt. It was the. Fact I, guess, I guess. I guess. Palm Sunday madness doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? <laughs> no, and the marketing is tougher. And you know, it's really only one day in the weekend. What are we doing for the rest of the time? Go and find a donkey. Um, Although, let's be honest, that makes it sound a lot less like a Christian camp and a lot more like O Week. Find the donkey. A donkey. <laughs> the Amazing Race. <laughs> They all have to run up and land on a mat with Phil Keoghan in front of them on the Monday. Oh dear, but, but <laughs> you said you're not match fit. I take it that, that, that perhaps, is this airbed related, maybe? Oh, no, the camp itself was amazing. Like, okay. the place we stayed at is a Queensland government campsite um, focused on sports and recreation, but they have accommodation attached oh, to it. Oh, that's not camping? Well, no, no, no. Well, you call it a camp because you're not at home, right? What else do you call it? <laughs> Um, it's, you can't call it come to Easter Madness glamping because um, <laughs> that's not going to work either. But okay. it was dorm style accommodation with like steel frame beds, the worst mattresses known to man uh, in okay. that they were vinyl covered, like didn't breathe at all. So if you laid in one spot for more than about five minutes, a pool of sweat just collected um, and it was cold at night and I had, was in a sleeping bag. And yeah, it got nasty. So what um, you're saying is it was less like camping and more like... Concentration camp. Weekend detention. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you signed in on Friday and you left on Monday. Um, oh dear. But, yeah, you, you and all the other people with par- unpaid parking fines. <laughs> so many young people with you know, things they're working off for the community. Oh, um, but it was, it was fun. But the, the problem for me was that... Of the three nights that we were there, two of them saw me see 2am um, oh, and yeah. get up then at six o'clock the next morning immediately following. That was not cool. So much so that on the Monday, like after the Sunday where I'd only had four hours sleep, like I was in such a sleep deficit. This was at Caloundra on the Sunshine Coast and I'm not proud of this. I don't report this to say that, hey, look, how good am I? When I drove home on the Monday, there are large parts of the Bruce Highway I don't remember. Oh, dear me. That's a bit dangerous. Oh, and then some. Although I did re- <laughs> I did catch myself once sort of having that micro sleep, but instead of veering, I just took my foot off the accelerator. So I sort of woke up to me doing 75 in a 100 zone and going, oh, I should be driving faster. Mm, I, I am a big power napper when, I, mm. when I'm driving these days because I, I drive... Pull over, I, have the nap and get on. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 so much. I, I, I do... Yeah, a reasonable amount of, of driving on, like for work. I'm not not someone mm. who's a um, 
you know, like like constantly on the roads, like a courier or someone like that, or a, you know, a, a, a long distance driver. But the area that I cover uh, means that it's not out of the question for me to do sort of you know a five or six hundred kilometre round trip in a day. Yes, uh, and, and that's not every day, but you know th- those ones happened. And yeah, I have all for a long time now found that I'm I'm, I'm not going to make that whole drive without mm. pulling over and having a break somewhere, and probably having sort of you know a ten fifteen minute nap. And now I've got it down to a fine art in terms of pull over, like you know, close the eyes, set the timer on the uh, on on the phone. Ten minutes later, you know, beep up basically walk two laps around the car, have a stretch, hop back in, and then I'm great. For but... another 10 minutes. <laughs> no, 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 I'm good after that. This is the thing that amazes me. Like yeah. one, of, one of those times, like a, a little 10, 15 minute nap, and I'm good for hours. Mm. Um, but but if you sort of just keep trying to push on, I just feel myself getting worse and worse and worse. And now I've got very, very good at the first sign of even getting out of those heavy eyes. I'm just like, right, nap time. Yeah. <laughs> and look, in retrospect, that, that that's what I should have done. But isn't this the whole reason or the, the rationale behind why quaaludes were a thing? Like the whole point was that they were a sleeping medication. But someone worked out that if you took one and you fought fought off the sleepiness... That once you got through that, that, that was when you experienced this incredible mind-bending high. Um, maybe we just need more quaaludes in our lives. <laughs> Look, I'm not one to uh, make, judge anyone's choices of recreational drugs, Stephen. <laughs> so I say, look, not just look. Let's just unleash a lot of them. <laughs> oh, the one, the one key takeaway for me out of the entire weekend was that if I'm going to stay up until two a.m. editing, which is why I was up predominantly, but it did also become uh, a little bit camp dad walking around saying, "Go to bed, it's two o'clock. Shut up, it's two o'clock." Um, that I need someone to drive me home on the Monday, like because it wasn't like Monday morning I got up and left because the official program finished about eleven thirty, mm-hmm. but then I was at camp until half past two helping pack up. Yeah. Um, and I yep. think that's what killed me. If I'd left immediately after camp, you know, I would have gone, filled up the car, got some lunch, driven home, eaten, fine, I'm home by two o'clock and shattered. But it was, no, my just energy was tapering the entire afternoon. Yeah, I, I can, I, I can empathise because having you know, recently uh, handed in my commission as a, a, a Cub Scout leader. Uh, oh, Dave, end of an era. Uh, oh, look, I guess no, it, was, it was about five years, probably uh, all up. So I guess that, yeah, that's a, a short era. What was but, your Cub uh, Scout name, Dave? Oh, uh, mate, I, I was it Dave? No, of course not. In Cub Scouts, you have Jungle Book. Yeah, names. which jun- Jungle Book character? Bagheera. Nice. I was gonna say, look, he's the coolest one. And in in all of the stories, like we'd read them out, I would actually insert that Bigira, who was the coolest animal in the jungle, and the kids would go nuts. <laughs> it doesn't say that, and I'm like, look, it does right here. Look, see, no, oh, you can't see. It. Oh, that's my copy. <laughs> nice. So yeah, but so I the uh, the camp where we did most of our stuff was uh, out near How Long, which is only about thirty k's out of Albury, and there's a uh, a standing camp out there for um, for scouts and cows. How long is it? About thirty k's. Um, but uh, e- even some afternoons, like you had a couple of nights out there and driving home on a Sunday afternoon after packing up. Oh, yeah. e- even that thirty k's is enough to get you going. I'm too tired to do this. This is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so I can empathise. I can empathise. Have you ever fallen asleep at the wheel and woken up in a place where you didn't want the car to be? 
Uh, thankfully, no. No. Uh, I, I have had that sort of little micro-sleep thing every now and again that has sort of pushed me to pull over and, mm. and, and seriously contemplate my life choices. Um, but, uh, no, no the, all of the accidents that I've had while driving cars have been ones uh, when I was wide awake. So Nice. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, only one, only one write-off. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. only uh, one. Only one. Um, went went off the side of a mountain once. That was great. That, that was exciting. Um, it, yeah, and it had a. That was that was when. Uh, so before Rach and I were married, we, I was driving her from Armadale, uh, driving her home to to Taree. Your beloved was in the car. Oh yeah, and, and the car like <laughs> it wasn't my car. <laughs> it was it was. Uh, it was uh, Dad's car. Why, why had I borrowed that? Oh, that's right. Because Rach had come over to Inverell for a while, and then and we'd like hauled all her stuff over there from college. There's no easy straight line from Armadale to Tari either. N- no, no. We'll see. So we weren't actually going through Armadale. Sorry, now that I think about it, we we were going Inverell to Tari. So we'd gone up uh, to Urala, um and then Walker, and we were going sort of down. Uh, Mount Seaview, yeah, uh, which is fair, like all bloody mountain ranges is windy, but yeah, Mount Seaview is really windy. Unless the locals call it the back way, <laughs> yeah. And uh, the uh, there'd been a really really bad storm had gone through, so there's a bit of leaf litter and stuff on the road. Dave, uh, yeah. It was wet driving along, uh, and what was, what was really weird? So this was a what, what was it? It was a, a Holden Apollo. Great. Which, if if you, I'm not sure how uh, how up you were on bad um, like Australian car badge engineering in the uh, in the 90s, but it was actually the the Holden Apollo was a Toyota Camry, but with worse options. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> and, like a baby Commodore that they bought in. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so so this thing had drum brakes on the rear wheels, oh. and and they locked up. So as I'm going round a corner. The yeah. re- like the rear brakes locked up and just started um, putting me into a slide, so I steered into it and I caught the slide and that was great. Yeah. But of course, at this point now, instead of pointing around the corner, I'm pointing over the edge of the road. Yeah. Um, and just didn't have time to then correct it to correct it again. So I just threw the anchors on, um, and went over the edge. And I tell you what, it was it was a pretty lucky little piece of driving too because the path where we went down. On the left-hand side, there was a big Armco barrier, which we only just missed. Uh, and on the right-hand side was a tree that was about a metre and a half round on the trunk. Oh. And we uh, sort of like <laughs> went straight Gosh. between those two, um, down an embankment, um, and eventually sort of waved someone down, got a tow truck to drag us out, and um, then you know, drove back down to Taree. And so, Hang on, it was still drivable. Yeah, look, the only thing that happened Why? to it... The only thing that happened to it was, um, so the bumper got pushed back, like the fiberglass bumper mm-hmm. got pushed back under and, and, uh, actually no. So the, the car had an plastic. overbite? Yeah, well, well, it was sort of just hanging there. Like some of the, the, the studs that, um, that, uh, that held onto it were, were, had, had snapped off. Yeah. Um, but the bumper itself was okay. Maybe a scratch or two. Um, uh, and the other thing, which we didn't find until the next morning was a stick had got in between the rim and the tire, and there and it just deflated slowly overnight. 
So, you know, change the tyre and that was pretty much it. So, <laughs> did you think you were able to get away with it and not tell your dad or you had to tell Oh, him? no, you, you could you could tell because the bumper like, like was sort of hanging a little bit. In the wrong place. Right. Yeah. Man, that is the worst end to a, you know, girlfriend driving you home wristy story I've ever heard. <laughs> it is not real flesh. Well, especially when yeah, you're rocking up at her place. That's not a happy pa- ending. And her parents are like, gee, you're a bit late. And we're like, yeah, yeah. we crashed over the edge of a mountain. <laughs> yeah, ouch. That's, man, that's crazy. Um, mm. And that's all, like, that's always my fear in doing those kinds of, you know, back road tracks and stuff, particularly ones I'm not familiar with. Um, in my younger days, I probably would have taken them a little bit inappropriately as far as speed went. But now I've become a grandpa. Like if it's a road that I'm not sure on and it's certainly not bitumen, I'm not driving it fast. But that's me. Mm. There well, is see, other questions, however. Well, well see, I, 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 once I got my own car, I didn't really have the option of do, doing things too fast because it was a... <laughs> <laughs> Stop! <laughs> it was it was a nice car. It was it was, it was a nineteen eighty three Subaru Leone Coupe. Oh, spectacular! Oh, it was be- mate. It, it and it was. Uh, and you were what, a- the fifth owner? No, I was the second owner. <gasps> it was Dang. a car. It was a car that Dad had sold new, and it literally was like the little old lady drive to church car. Oh. So I, I, I got that after I finished high school. So that was the end of '94. Yes. Uh, and the car had twenty three and a half thousand kilometres no. on it. <laughs> yep. Like it had a velour interior that was just absolutely and immaculate. immaculate. Yeah. It, it had an. It had an AM radio, <laughs> so that wasn't great. That was the but, first thing we fixed. Yeah, but it was a it was a five speed, one point eight liter. That 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 classic agricultural one point eight liter flat four Subaru engine that was in everything from the Brumby to the the sports wagon and everything else. And well, I had it in a little front wheel drive coupe, and it was look. It, it, you know how the Subarus have got like pillarless doors. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it had that as well. So. Um, was it coupe? Yeah, and, and you, yeah, so you wind down the back windows, and you had this nice, long, open, pillarless side, and it was just gorgeous. So that one didn't that, that car didn't go fast, um, but I did manage to put it in a few dangerous situations <laughs> <laughs> that, that weren't ultimately speed related. But you know, even the small bit of velocity that it did have was, was was not great. The the most famous one of those was at Coffs Harbour. Mm. Um, we we were out uh, we were near Boambi or something, and and we were screaming along this road, um, and going down the road, and there was a um, uh, like a ninety degree turn to go over a uh, like like a railway line. Yeah. And so you know we were tearing along, being a bit silly. <laughs> we. <laughs> I was sure. dri- I was driving like an idiot, and your other seven mates in the car, uh, and so sort of screamed into this corner and just absolutely like you know, yanked on the wheel to you know the car's sort of sliding a bit. We're going over the uh, the railway tracks. We're thinking this is great, but I had made the assumption that on the other side of the railway tracks, the road would like continue. Or it would either continue straight, 
um, or it would switch back to the left. So it'd be a right and a left and, and we'd sure. be able to you know, catch it and it'd be fine. Well, as we're sort of going over the railway tracks, it became apparent that the road actually like turned back on itself. So it was effectively <laughs> like a U-turn over railway tracks. And it was in, we were in all the wrong shape to Ooh. make that turn. Um, and we look, we got it through without um, without any panel damage. Um, that's so, important. That is important. So, so, you know, like, that's all. Any one of those is always a good day. But, yes. Uh, yeah, we, we, we weren't necessarily, um, you know, dealing with lanes in a particularly safe way. But there wasn't any other traffic around. So, you know, these are the things you survive. And this is why my kid will be uh, probably uh, driving something like a... Uh, a chimera. <laughs> a, a bubble. <laughs> oh, dear. I remember one time, and I wasn't even that young. Like, I was hanging out with some friends from youth group. Um, oh, this friend of my duck that I told you about last week. Yeah. Um, he ha- had this cracking Commodore, and I think it was his first car, maybe his second car. But this was the one. He loved this Commodore, and he'd invested in it, like great rims and done stuff to the engine, all sorts of stuff. Anyway, it had been in the shop because he'd been a smart-ass and done something, and it needed getting fixed. So he'd got it back, and we'd gone and seen a movie, and that was all great, and he was driving us around, driving us home. <laughs> and then we decided, he, he said, oh, I'll go and show you what it can do. And it was just like there was this industrial estate across the road from Erin Affair. Um, I was living on the Central Coast, and he turned down this road that we all knew well, had this, this massive kind of corner... Because it was an industrial estate, it's the kind of thing where it's like they had built the the gutter about 50 metres in the wrong place. So instead of just a normal two-lane turn to the right, it was a two-lane turn to the right with this massive kind of hoop backed on yep. the side of it, all this space. Yep. So consequently, that's where all of the hoons went to lay down some rubber and, and you know make a lot of noise and leave. Um, so for some reason, we'd gone there and he said, oh, we're going into this corner at speed, that was fine. And sort of giving it a bit of hoof, the back went out exactly like he wanted, and he had it. He, we were going great. The problem was, I think he'd misjudged where we were in the corner, and we stopped rather abruptly, not because we ran into a pole, but just because we'd hit the gutter. Oh, that's the worst. So we've gone sideways into the gutter, both wheels seemingly at the same time, um, on the left hand side. So, and it just kind of shuddered. We didn't sort of lean or anything, we weren't going that fast, but we sort of shuddered, and Oh, you know, we're going, oh, is everyone all right? Yeah, oh, geez, that was great. Duck's going to drive off, and it just did not want to move. Oh, Couldn't no. turn the wheel. Oh, so he had no. just got, he basically done his front and back end. Um, bent, like the, I don't know, I'm not mechanically minded, bent something. Um, the front wheels wouldn't turn. He had to get a towie to get it taken away to get it fixed again. It was a bit of a debacle for poor old Duck. Oh. We had a great time, but the indignity was we then had to call someone to come and get us to drop us back to my place, um, or drop him home and drop the rest of us back to my place where the rest of our cars were. Oh. What was your, what was your first car? Um, I had a, a Holden Kingswood, um, like an old school one, and I, I keep trying. I think it was either HQ or a HZ. I can't remember. Those are two very different cars, Stephen. Yeah, I know. I think it was a HZ. I was going to say you, you, you're like you're going to have to hand in your uh, your, your car man stripes if you if you can't even remember where the tail Mate, lights were in the. I don't with... even have car uh, car stripes. <laughs> it's, I don't. Well, I know well, where okay, the fuel goes and the oil goes <laughs> and the air goes. So with, with the tail lights, yes, in, 
in the rear bumper or were they on the, on the like rear corners of the of the corners okay so that, that wasn't a Q then that was either a HZ or one of the other um that uh, end of the line variant yeah yeah, what was it wasn't the, a Q. Like the Q, the Q had the the mm, tail lights mm, down in the chrome bumper at the back. A very yeah, different, no, different look. That. Okay, uh, but it was a steel car. Um, it was a two tone baby blue with white. Wow. Um, so the yeah the, the 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 body of the car was blue, and then white was the the, the roof and the visor at the front. Oh, um, that yeah, is yeah, a yeah. classic. So, um, so, so it was, it was a Kingswood, though. It, was, it wasn't like a, a a special or a premier or anything like no, that. No, just a bog standard. Just a kingy. Uh, bench seats. Only the front seats had seatbelts. Um, Man- manual or auto? Auto, two-speed. Uh, on the <laughs> pillar. Um, and it was a spectacular car. Like, that tank, like, you could... Li- well, I can't even say legally, but I think... Because I remember asking at the time, going, there's no seatbelts in the back. Do we need to put them in? And I think we spoke to a police officer who said if there was no seatbelts in it when you bought it, it, like by design, you don't have to put them in, which I don't think was true. But no, we that, never that, got... I was going to say, that is true, but I'm pretty sure that HZs did come with seatbelts. So God knows where yours went. <laughs> no idea. There were never seatbelts in the back. <laughs> oh, no. So you could legally fit six people in that, that car, and we quite often fitted eight. Um, <laughs> if someone counted heads in the back, we were in trouble. Um but it was just great for getting around on the Sunshine Coast and going from Kiwana up to Malilba for a swim or... Because it was like the, the vinyl seats. So they took just about everything. It didn't matter if you sat down in wet togs on a towel or whatever, whatever. Um, well, and see, the other thing is too, like, like at, at that stage, bloody petrol in Queensland was about six cents a litre. So it didn't really... Almost. <laughs> it didn't I have, matter that it was so bloody inefficient. We used to live next to a servo. Um, so a V6... Yeah, two speed. No, no, it wasn't a V six. <laughs> it was it was a straight six, Stephen. It was a straight six. Sorry, was a straight V8. six. Correct. Come on. No, no, it's well because I got the engine <laughs> replaced. Um, I did some bad things to that car. Um, that was a straight six. You're right. I remember looking, peering in at the engine with my dad, and looking. We could stand in the engine bay next to it, just about. Um, but we lived next to a service station, so one of the one of the pictures of me standing sort of next to my car has the, 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 the sign for the cost of fuel in the background. Oh, cool. It's this weird time capsule. So I think from memory, because um, uh, unleaded was reasonably new, mm-hmm. um, what did we used to put in our cars before unleaded? Just super. Yeah, super was like 60-something cents. No, it can't be that high. I, I remember going... I, I clearly remember buying... Oh, this buying... is the 90s, man. Like, the yeah. early 90s. And I, I, again, I remember taking my Subaru up to Tweed Heads. And, of course, they get the they get the tax discount to match the Queensland prices. Mm. And I was paying 40 cents a litre nice. in in Tweed Heads as opposed to 60 cents a litre in Inverell and Armadale. So that Whatever was the, it was, it was all too yeah. much. It didn't matter what the price was. <laughs> Fuel's bloody expensive. Um... <laughs> And I think uh, LPG was like 28. Oh, that, that was next to nothing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we just get this out of the ground. It's cheap. <laughs> um, but no, I, I. What did I do to that car? I remember driving down to uni once in it and I hadn't checked the oil. Uh, and after driving for probably nearly an hour on what must have been nearly no oil, uh, I threw a rod out the side. Um, this almighty bang and smoke just billowing from under the bonnet. Pull over. Uh, lift it up, clear the smoke. Oh, there's a little fire. So I went and grabbed the bottle of water that I inevitably had in the car because the radiator overheated. Um, 
and, and lost water somewhere. Right. Poured that on the fire, stopped that, walked across the road to the caravan park, made a reverse charges call because I had no money um, to mum. To, hey, look, I've, something's wrong with the car. It's blah, blah, blah. No worries, we'll be there. So mum and dad and my surrogate mum and dad turned up um, with mum and my surrogate mum. They finished driving me to Brisbane and dad and surrogate dad got underneath the car, disconnected the drive shaft and towed the car home. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we got the engine replaced. That was the first time. Yeah. Um, and I think from memory, dad and mum just paid for that, which was lovely. It would have cost them heaps to get a straight six. It would have just walked up to a wreckers and gone, have you got it? And they went, yep, and pointed. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but that was fine. And then in 1994... I was working, still had this car, and it was great as a youth group car, because same thing, just pile people in and off you go. Um, uh, there was a guy at the area I was working, I was working for the church, and he was very mechanically minded like my dad, but he was even more so in that he went, oh, you know what, we could bore that out to 186, we could bore that out to be a 202, put a three-speed in there, you'd be in business. I went, sure, Harry, what's that going to cost? And he went, oh insert number here i think it was even 700 bucks um so he yeah bought it out from a 186 to a 202 put a three-speed gearbox on it for like 800 bucks and uh that meant it was the end of the gear stick on the pillar so it was no longer and it wasn't even done nicely he basically just got some bolt cutters oh no yeah yeah, and just crimped off the the stick um i look don't don't because i so wish i'd kept that car even just just to look at it now and go, yeah, that is my project to learn about mechanical things and to rebuild that sucker. Um, and, and became, uh, like a, on the, you know, the hump in the, the middle of the floor <laughs> yeah, where the, the drive the shaft hump. goes. I do, yeah. I do, I do. So that's where he mounted the three speed gearbox. Um, and it was, mate, if I thought it went before, holy snapper. Now they were only drums, right? The brakes on that were not spectacular. Um, it got. It had more got up and go then after that that I've ever seen in a car that I've driven ever <laughs> since. It was amazing. Oh, so good. Um, I remember driving home after an event one night, late one night, back to the Sunshine Coast, nodded off, and woke up when I heard the smack of the the you know the side post, you know the, the, the yeah, side yep. of the road with the little reflectors. Yep. The front of the car smacking into that, um, and me going, "Oh, I'm not in where I should be." And sort of driving through a bit of the culvert just there and then getting back on the road and driving off. And when I got home, just kind of like, and mind you, my eyelids didn't shut for the rest of the trip home. I was awake. Um, but when I got home, went and had a look and dad and I surveyed the damage the next morning. I busted an indicator lens and there was a nice uh, sort of guidepost sized divot in the, um, in just the strip the, the chrome strip that went yep, yep. along the front of the bonnet. Wow. That was it. I'm sensing a bit, bit of a theme here, Steve. It, it, it seems like you know, being involved in church is bad for your health. Like, <laughs> you're potentially going to kill yourself. Oh, well, no. There, there are times when I haven't been involved in church that I have nearly killed myself. <laughs> Driving a, a full ute full of PA with the bass player back from a gig from Toowoomba late, late one night because we'd run out of fuel um, and waking up going down the side of a hill next to the road. Oh, God. Um, which, again, managed to survive and keep upright and all of the rest of it. The PA gear went all over the side of this hill. At, like, the sun is coming up at 4 a.m. 
um, the bass player went up, caught, hitchhiked, you know, to get to a phone to call the owner of the gear and the owner of the stuff, and, and we just had people descend on us to help come and collect the gear and make sure get the car out, and yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> See, we, uh, because my family had a, a car yard. Yes. Um, well, the, the Subaru w- was my first car, but it like that was the first car that was mine. But it certainly wasn't sort of the first one that I that I had got to drive or yes. got got to deal with. Like the car, we'd always had pretty nice cars mm. right up until just before. Um, just before I got my license, <laughs> funnily enough, so yes. we went we, we went from you know always having a, a Calais or something like that yeah, yeah. to having like bog stock poverty pack Commodore, <laughs> poverty pack Commodore, nice. um, and um, and and at that stage, Dad was driving around in again nothing. He must have had a thing for the badge engineered stuff because you know he had the Apollo that I'd already mentioned, yes. but at that stage he had a Nissan Ute. Now the the Nissan Ute quite literally was the Ford Falcon Ute <laughs> with with a Nissan badge on it, and they, look they were so cheap with this they didn't even like change the grill that the Ford oh, Ute had on it they yep. just they just left the the Ford badge out so there's this like little oval in the middle of the grill. Gosh, gosh, <laughs> and it's just got Nissan written on the side of it. It was oh it was pathetic, but uh, that was one of the ones that I. I really learnt to drive in, and that thing, that was a three-speed column shift manual. Nice. Uh, and it had a really, really dodgy clutch. Um, so it was an absolute bastard to to drive because, like, like, like the clutch was almost worn out in it. So you had about three millimetres of travel between oh, the clutch is engaged and off, you've yeah. just stalled it. <laughs> so um, so I, I learned to drive in that out on my great uncle's farm. Um, or just go, you know. Or I had a uh, effectively a you know like a route that I could go around the paddocks on some of the tracks and you know zip between this gate here and and you know spin around over there. So what would happen would be Mum would drive me out to Murray's farm, hop out of the car, <laughs> and say right, you've got three quarters of an hour, <laughs> go, go, <laughs> and go. I wouldn't. So I'd go and see how many laps I could do before my 45 minutes was up and then mum would drive us back to town again oh nice uh, that that it was that was a horrible vehicle so I, I i don't i think i think by the time i actually had a license though we'd got rid of that one and then um yeah we had because then dad got um uh, a jackaroo and he, he nice well it was he found he found this um second hand one it was a it was a, actually yeah it was fairly beat up it had a, a bit over a hundred thousand k's on it um and at that stage we still had a, a panel shop as you know, at, at the car yard so he, he took it over there and basically you know, decided that the, the boys were going to use it as a bit of a project so um he got new mags for it um got the guys at the panel shop to straighten it out and do a custom paint job on it so like n- not uh not not going back to the original colours, not even going to colours that were an option. He, um, yes. At, at that stage, uh, he already had the fishing lure manufacturing business, and so they had, they had this massive colour range of things. So he picked some colours out of that he liked. So many from, questions. From the so lures. Yes. <laughs> so he picked some colours out from there and said, I want you to basically do this on the car. So it had this um, sort of mulga green 
uh, color down low and sort of around the um, uh, yeah just just at, at the bottom of the of the vehicle and then the top half was this pearl white it looked so so cool uh, in the sunlight um, and then they found uh, up above the spare parts department, they found a pair of Recaro bucket seats that someone had ordered in like 10 years before and had oh. never, never picked up. So they got those reupholstered with the um, the fabric from the uh, the original seats, popped those in there, and all of a sudden this thing that had just been a bit of junk, it, like, it looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and so that was the car that I did most of my learner, learner driver period on. Uh, actually on the road great um and uh and, and I, I even took my my uh driving test in that one um which, which was kind of funny because we sort of wandered into the car park with the the tester at the at the rta and she wandered over towards this like little hatchback that was parked there just assuming that's what i'd bought and i'm like no no that thing over there so you know climbing up on the side steps into the into the jackaroo you know and again th- this thing wasn't uh like we're talking like 1980s like diesel four-wheel drives yeah. they, they weren't comfortable like they were, they were like today's suvs you hopped in this thing and it was like it might as well have been a tractor the way it rumbled and carried on and you could just see the look on the examiner's face she was like what is this <laughs> uh, but yeah oh so many weird and uh, oh, the Subaru Sherpa? Do you, do you even remember the Subaru Sherpa? I do, I do remember it, yes. It was a tiny, tiny little hatchback, and it had a three-cylinder 600cc engine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't know, I had that for a little while to run around and do errands and stuff. And oh, just, great. <laughs> so again, it wasn't my car, though. No. <laughs> so, so when, I, when I was like, like have, getting my hands on some of these cars to, to do bits and pieces with... Um, especially stuff from the car yard, I, I would, like, ride my bike down to the car yard, yes. go over to the used car department, and they would have, like, stuff like the Sherpa and bits and pieces, stuff that, like, it was stuff that was so crappy, it wasn't actually worth taking it over to the detailer to get it detailed and put it back on the lot. <laughs> like, because like, it was pretty much the rule is, if, like, if a car had been detailed, oh, you know... Don't you, touch you, it. You don't touch it. You don't, you don't take that out. But there, there was always, you know, maybe half a dozen things just lined up against the back fence that's like, look, we'll we'll sell this to someone. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But <laughs> we are not putting any money or effort into this. Like <laughs> Some kid will come in and want a first car. Yep. Yeah. And, and so those ones, I'd get to, you know, yeah, like I said, run errands and do jobs for dad and do bits and pieces like that or borrow to go and you know, go somewhere uh, when I had my license but before I had my own car at, uh, and oh, it's just some weird and wild things we, we also had did you know you know remember the Sigma like the, the, the Mitsubishi yeah. Sigma a friend so, of mine had a little uh, like orangey you know Sigma that he drove for ages well you'll like you, everyone sort of remembers the, the, the you know pretty cool looking 80s sort of you know boxy sigma mm-hmm. but the like the late 70s one though uh, we had one of those uh on the se- on the second hand yard for ye- for years literally cuz no one wanted to buy it cuz it was a coupe it was like a sigma coupe oh, wow sigma coupe it was an auto and it had a vinyl roof <laughs> <laughs> and um and yeah, the guys at the used car yard used to like literally uh, joke with me that you know if I didn't get a high enough mark in my HSC, that that's the car I was going to get. <laughs> 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 it's like no, 
It was terrible. It was the worst thing ever. It was like the complete antithesis of my very cool and very stylish, thank you very much, yes, Subaru please. Coupe, which was not an auto and did not have a vinyl roof. Gosh. I, it, it, as someone who is... Well, we're toying with the idea of replacing our car now, but that's a whole other nightmare. Um, it's something that I've acknowledged, that uh, like car companies will buy like models and rebadge them and you know change grills and do all that sort of stuff. I've never understood why that's a thing though. Like why okay. well, why company A would go, well instead of us do we'll just buy that from them and cuz yeah, I don't get it. So in Australia, it was the uh, uh, it was basically brought around by government policy. Um, yeah. when John Button was the industry minister uh, and so it was referred to as the Button plan. And the idea was that rather than having uh, Mitsubishi uh, at that stage, Nissan was still in Australia manufacturing. So Mitsubishi, Nissan, uh, Ford, uh, Holden, Holden, and I think Toyota were already here by then as well. So rather than having all five of these makers trying to compete in all of the car segments where none of them were getting uh, enough volume to make it worthwhile, they were going to do what you know, came to be known as badge engineering and they would they would share models, wow. which brought us such horrors as the Toyota Lexan. Yes, that's, with, that was the one I was thinking of in this yeah, conversation. Uh, yeah, no, it was, so that was horrible. What so, a way to honour one of our great designers yeah. with a shithouse car. <laughs> so, in, so, so Toyota got the Commodore and rebadged as a, as a Lexan and then um, Holden got the... Camry and called it an Apollo, and they got the Corolla, which they badged as the Nova. Yes. Um, so, so that was a pretty good deal for Holden, really. Yeah, they scored <laughs> but, big. But, except for the fact that, um, and going in both directions, if the badge engineering versions never had as many options as the original ones. Yeah. Um, they were always a bit lower spec, um, and they usually weren't any more price competitive either. So if you bought a Holden Nova, you really, really had to want to buy a Holden. Like, it was a good deal because you're effectively getting a Corolla, which was a good car. Yeah, yeah. But But why uh, not go buy a Corolla instead of buying the Holden? That's right. You're buying it for name and not even for history and... Exactly. And and so that's how we got... Because we're a Holden family, Dave. And that's how we got the the Nissan Ute, which I talked about before that I like to drive in. Um, And... So Ford then had the Maverick, which was a, which was a um, Nissan Patrol with a Ford Maverick badge on it. Yes, um, and which is oh, lazy. It, it was. What else was out there? Um, of course, even before, actually, either at the start of the button plan or maybe even before it, the original Holden Astra was actually a Nissan Pulsar. Um, Gosh. But they're still doing it. This is what surprises me. Well, we, we don't yeah. manufacture any cars in Australia, and they're still doing it. Well, it, it's a bit less so now. now. Now what it's usually is, is because there's been such massive consolidation globally um, with the car companies. We'll take that chassis and do this to it. it well, it's it's more a case of, so for example, you've got um, Porsche, Audi, Volkswagen and Skoda that are yeah. all owned by the Volkswagen Group. Yep. Um, and so they take, uh, they, they have a series of platforms and they build different kinds of, you know, different cars on those same platforms for each of those brands. So, uh, and obviously they do differentiation with um, the luxury features or engines or different options and stuff like that. Mm. But um, if you're in the tight-ass part of the market like we are, yes, <laughs> we bought our last, normal our last car, um, if you buy something like the Skoda, you're getting, these days, a really, really good car with all the benefits um, 
that people who you know buy buy the Audis and the Volkswagens pay for. Um, so, for the din hedge. Yeah, so it's it's great. Um, so that that's where like Kia and Hyundai are now um, the same company. So that's why their stuff is yeah know, the same. So it the, so yeah back in the the eighties and nineties it was in Australian cars it was that it was by design by government policy, but now it's just that there's such massive consolidation. Well, yeah, they're like they're, they're just aren't as many car companies as there used to be. Like like small companies like Volvo aren't independent anymore. Yeah. I don't think well, I think some Saab's gone altogether. I think, um, and yeah, you're just getting fewer and fewer manufacturers. Um, pumping out more and more versions of the same thing because we we are slash were slash are looking at a um uh, a Kia Sportage and in some of the reading because I'm a smart man Dave um, some of the reading that I did for it was talking about oh yeah they took the base of this Hyundai thing and went what but that's that's because I don't know the, the the ownership politics and the manufacturer stuff behind it I went, oh, okay well that's fine yeah well that one was the GFC like um. Kia were basically going to go under, and the South Korean government decided that that would be a very bad thing, yes, <laughs> and basically correct. gave uh, Hyundai a tap on the shoulder and said, "Guess what? You now own an, uh, a, like another car manufacturing plant. Off you go." <laughs> and, Good day. Uh, there you go. So, but the, the catch is, they've made an absolute ripper of it. Like they've yes. whoever's made the call out of some of this. They've turned Kia from... And, and look, the way they sell their cars is reasonably budget compared to like your Holden Ford's Toyotas. Their showrooms are not as flashy. They have way... Uh, like a limited range of cars. But the stuff they manufacture is of at least comparable quality. And they put a seven-year warranty on it. And their marketing is great. And the, they bought in a guy that has killed it in the styling stakes as far as the looks of their vehicles now and all of the rest of it. Like, it used to be, oh, you've bought a Kia, yes, it looks dodgy, right? It's like buying a, um, what's that What's that other, is it Korean or whatever it is, the, like, we have three cars and they come in two sizes and that's it. Um, God, no Chinese, Great Wall. Oh, right, yes. It's like buying a Great Wall, right? If you buy yeah. a Ute, there is yep. one model, that is it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes like this, there is no options, you just buy this car. Buy the car now, very impressive. Um, that was racist. The... <laughs> <laughs> but the, the Kias have really... You're tired. I'll give you a pass oh, yeah. this time. But they've they've also... Like, the fact that they've they've tied in, locked in that sponsorship with the Australian Open has meant that they needed to have a product that was kind of worthy of this global stage that they were being given in that context. And it, they're nailing that. It's interesting, isn't it, how... Like, even when you are completely aware of... You know, branding and positioning and marketing that car companies do and that sort of stuff. Even then, you still get a bit sucked into how they position their brands and and what that says. And like, as much as you sort of want to think of yourself as a completely rational consumer, at some level, part of you still goes, "Oh yeah, but I, I, I like I like that element of that car, and that element is really nothing more than just." Marketing, oh, it's fluff. Yeah, that <laughs> but, bit, that but, bit is fluff. But but you you're, you're still willing to go along with it and and, and see uh, see that, that that this vehicle has has these attributes and, and you'd like to see those attributes reflected in yourself and, and, and like you you feel you, you don't want to get sucked into it but we 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 all do so many of us do well, okay, not all of us most of, I, I do I was I, really I love cars. really oh yeah and I hear that. Um, 
I don't understand cars, but I love cars. I would love nothing more than a very shiny, sexy thing that I can't afford to drive. Um, in parts, why drive ride a Harley? Um, uh, but look, we, we, I went in very wide open when we had our last conversation with a car dealer about buying a car, and like our car isn't that old, and it's a ve- look our current vehicle, um, and it's very well maintained. It's our only car, so I make sure that it's got you know good rubber and the, it's always serviced and all of the rest of it, because we don't do any of it ourselves. Because I can't, um, I probably could, but I can't. Um, and the trade number, the number they gave us for our car for a trade, it was just offensive. Yeah. <laughs> like to the point where we went, that's just not enough. See ya. We're walking. And they were like, okay, fine. See you later. Yep. It- I was just amazed. It was honestly half what is reasonable. It's absolutely brutal. And, and a big part of that is because the secondhand market is where the dealers make a lot of their profit. Like they don't make a lot. Oh yeah, because of they money get schmoes the, that accept that deal, and then they list it for twice the price, and yeah. they make the money. They do because they because they, and part of that is because they make almost nothing on the new cars, and that's been that's been the case forever. But it's actually getting even worse these days. Uh, we were talking with the the dealer um, when we bought our Skoda. And he was talking about the fact that, you know, after like we'd had it for a while, Skoda would contact us um, and they'd do a customer survey. And he said, look, mm. if there's ab- anything at all that's wrong, he said, yeah, please let us know before you get the survey. And he said, and if you don't want to talk to me, talk to the dealer principal, talk, like he said, talk to we anyone will here. We solve the problem, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he said, because basically when you drive the car off the lot, they have made a loss. <laughs> And they don't make wow. any money until after you they get positive survey oh, revolts back, wow. and then they get like uh, incentive payments from <laughs> from the manufacturer Gosh. for good survey results. So that's crazy, isn't it? Just and so th- again, um, and you know, making money out of secondhand cars has always been a big thing for for dealers, regardless. But it's probably even more so now because I I don't know that every new like any every manufacturer is doing stuff like that but i'm sure um that they wouldn't be the only ones because they're they're you know trying to socially engineer the a better car buying experience which is fair enough too because for decades it's been an absolutely horrible thing especially if you are a minority or a woman Mm, uh, and having to deal with assholes don't even start me (laughs) um but yeah it's 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 a, pr- a pretty brutal game, but it's even still like even even still in in some car yards it's this toxic masculinity that like when we went looking and and decided like because we sort of went we'll check out three or four different comparable cars across manufacturers so we would walk on the lot we would have a look at the car we knew what we were going to look at let's blah 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 and one place we went to like. Hi, this is me. This is my wife. No, and the kids, sure, great. And he was hi, everyone. Yeah, and and every question he asked was directed at me. Every answer he gave, even if my wife asked it, was directed at me. It was like we said up front, dude. I'm barely going to drive this car. Why are you telling me? My wife is standing. Like we we intentionally didn't stand next to each other because one of the measures we were going to place on uh, the the car yard was whether or not the 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 salesperson that spoke to us spoke to Michelle. 
and this guy lost us because he didn't. Yeah, it's and it's just so it's so simple. <laughs> it's just like and and the the other thing too is that like car yards have had like the data for a long time a now long that, time. That, that says that women actually are the primary decision maker 100%. for new cars. Like the, like even when the car is for you know the, the husband's car, if it's his car, the 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 final yes or no will still largely lay with with their partner. Um, and, and, and like that's not new or controversial stuff. It's not a secret. Car yards. Like have known this information, yeah. oh, well, like I, I can remember it being a thing back when I was still at home. So that's twenty years ago. Like twenty years ago, they knew that this was true, and that to to actively ignore that is just dumb. Yeah, one hundred percent. And look, but it got worse, right? In that, so that was guy at car yard one. We went to a Kia yard, and we we're talking to them, and took you know, the Sportage for test drive, and that was all fine. Um, and then. We went to another car yard where we spoke to a lady who, it was almost the complete opposite. She was happy to talk to my wife, but just the ego <laughs> of like, oh no, you've come to speak to us. This is how we do things. This is the way it works. Oh, it's like, really? Really? Is that how it's going to be? <laughs> well, thanks. We're not buying your cars. Oh, ever. Yeah. yeah. See... And I guess because my family had a car yard, I do have a bit of sympathy for dealing with the, like the local dealer. Um, but we've got and and the the dealer at the, the where we bought our Skoda was 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 great. Like the sales guy there was fantastic. Like, yeah. um, so obviously they're not giving them any money until after they get good surveys yeah, as working. That, but, right? but no, no, he was, he was a really great guy. Um, but yeah, we. The we'd had a couple of experiences um, around the around the joint previously with some ones, and I was getting really really close to like you know how there's uh, I know our union does it and the teachers union do it thing where you can sort of say I want this type of car and they and this is what I have for a trade and they will go out and like broker a deal for you and you don't really ever find out <laughs> who the car's from until you've taken possession of it yeah. you look in the handbook to see where the stamps from and it could be bloody anywhere yeah um but i have a lot yeah i was very close to thinking maybe we should just do that so we just don't have to deal with people just let the middleman um well, like the broker deal with it all um and and be done with it one of my mates at church his dad is a car broker like, mm-hmm. it only hit me driving back from the horrible experience where they gave us nothing for the trade of the car, where I went, why are we not just talking to him? Like, why are we not just going, hey, here's our car, what do you reckon's fair, um, what, what do we get for it, and th- this is the kind of thing we're looking for, what should we be looking at, what deal can you do for us? Because I reckon that that would just solve all of some of these problems. I mean, it totally distances you, like you said, it distances you from what and where, but if we say, oh, we want this kind of thing, or no, we definitely want this model, um, get us the best whatevers, I'm sure he would, because he's always, like everyone, uh, and, and my mate, he's, yeah, he just does these incredible deals, he's got the gift of the gab, blah, blah, blah. And the other thing is, and this was the issue that hit me with um, when we were at Yard where Lady was. Now, I have so much empathy for her, because she's, of all of the businesses in... 2017 that exist that have existed for years 
I think that car sales, particularly new car sales, are still very much the dominion of the butthead male. Um, yep. And the problem is that those butthead males that were, you know, scrounge around, get the sale out on the lot sales guys are now like the guy in charge, mm. you know, or, yep. or and, and nothing, you see them ponce around in their suit pants and their polo shirts, you know, that are super badged or the whatevers or... And just the, the, like that, they might be very polite to you and that's fine. And I'm sure I'm making a gross generalization, but just that, that horrible, like you expect they would shut the door and what are we doing tonight? Oh, we got the strippers in. It's a porn and prawn night. You know, it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, it, it just, that, that's the vibe. Cause you look at them and then they, you see, they all go off. They got cigarettes hanging outside of their mouth. It just, I know it. I'm tarring a lot of people with a very broad, wide brush. Have you, have you been watching? Like, what's the bloody uh, the the Arnold Schwarzenegger True Lies? You've been watching like Bill Paxton oh. do his do oh, his Oh, Vale Bill Paxton, Vale Bill Paxton, <laughs> uh, that, and that was such a great parody too, wasn't it? That was perfect. But that's still the vibe. That's the vibe that I get from them. And you, uh, like, I'm talking to this woman, and I could see self-important dudes sort of, you know, with their back up straight and their gut hanging out the front, sort of waddling around, <laughs> pointing and talking and laughing and acting like they know freaking everything. And I think that's probably my real problem is that I go into those situations and I don't know enough. And you indirectly or inadvertently immediately fall into this position where you're just kind of going, oh yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Instead of being vulnerable and going, actually, no, I don't understand that. Please explain it to me. Because if you don't, you know they're going to absolutely ream you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's always the fear. Like, like, and again, it's probably less bad now. I mean, you can you can jump on websites and get the prices for what the car should cost in your area and you know, in your postcode and all that sort of stuff. I've tried a million postcodes on some of those websites and never got a different price. Well, they, well that, that, that's a good thing. That's, actually, that is a good thing because uh, they, there used to be a bit more price discrimination where, you know, in areas where they thought they could uh, take a few extra bucks out of you, they would. <laughs> oh, look, I'm sure if you went and bought a car at the North Shore of Sydney, you're paying a premium no matter what the model is. Uh, yep. But uh, I still look at it and just go, all of this is ludicrous. Like, why... A car is... A, 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 like, we, we've gone beyond buying lemons. I know that still happens in the second-hand car game, but oh, and, and jeeps don't buy a jeep. Um, <laughs> is this, mate, oh, dude, a, a little bit of insight. Of, I'm sure you probably know. But when we were talking to the Kia guy, uh, he said, you know, the, the company that owns us, the, the Broad Motor Group, also own the Jeep dealer down the road. And he said, you know, we're doing okay. We're turning over cars pretty happily. They still have two-year-old model cars because Jeep went through a thing post GFC where they made all the dealers buy the cars oh right so they the, yeah so if you want to go and buy a jeep you need to hunt out a dealer that has a 2016 17 model because all of them have got 2015 16 models or 14 15 models because of the problems with them that you know when jeeps would blow up and they were you know all of the the bad problems that they had that hit the press no one's bought a jeep so they're not shifting stocks so they still have all these cars Oh, that's ugly. <laughs> oh, ugly is not even a half of it. So I just, like, cars are, for me now, and maybe this is just my mindset, 
exactly like me going to Target and buying a computer game or going to Apple and buying an iPad. I know exactly the thing I want. I, I can configure online the car specs and, and they've even made it simple. They don't go, do you want this or this or not that? Like all that's the post-sale stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, blah, blah, all that rubbish that they try and pressure you into. Um, well, you've got to get the rubber formats. Don't even start me. Um, <laughs> like if, if I want to buy this model car, I know it comes with these options. I can't go, I want the model down, but can you include this? Because that becomes an aftermarket thing. So no, you buy this model or that model or that model. Great. I want it in these colors. Yep. I can, like, bing, 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 pick, sold. Sell me a car. Why can I not just walk into a place? I'll have that one. Here's the money. Don't give me all of the runaround. Don't give me this bullet. I know it's the second biggest purchase that everyone will make in their life. But why is it still such a song and dance? Why are we reliant on, of the, on all of these dinosaurs that walk around in car yards trying to effectively, or have, for the bulk of their career, scamming poor people out of more cash than they should just because they're in a position to go, well, look, I know I can push you and say this is as low a... Because you have the to and fro. When we bought the car we had, we pushed and we pushed and we pushed. Three times ago, I went back every time. This is as low as he'll go. Every time he came back lower. <laughs> like... Well, see, you, actually, you can. You can have the experience that you, you w- were just talking about. You, you can get Where do exactly- I find that, Dave? Help me. <laughs> the, uh, there's some bad news. <laughs> the only place that you can really do that is with Tesla. <laughs> so you need to have a spare 100,000 or so. And, and a I'm charging getting- point every 20 kilometers. <laughs> and I'm guessing if you're looking at a Kia at the moment, a Tesla's probably not in the what? price bracket not even that close. you're looking yeah, at. Yeah. I'd, I'd get three Kias for my Tesla. <laughs> I think you'd probably get six. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, but... Um, it just depresses me that we still have these sections of what is ultimately a consumer-driven market that are so hell-bent and tightly bound to something that is so archaic. But, well, hang on. There is something, though, that's worse than car yards. Oh, I'd, Motorcycle I'd yards. Motorcycle yards. <laughs> Oh, look, see, I, d- I don't know. As someone who... Uh, oh, God, revealed, really? Well, as someone who has revealed, I have no idea when it comes to bikes. I, like, I know where the oil goes, I know where the fuel goes, I know how to put the air in the tyres, and I know where to get it serviced. Yeah. Um, when I bought my first Harley, I went with a mate, we went looking for a second... We actually went looking just for a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And um, we kind of had a budget, and I said to him, I want to find a bike uh, that basically won't make me look like a fat guy on a scooter. Um, <laughs> so so you knocking posty bikes out of the equation straight, straight up, away. Straight up. Um, and we went and looked at a couple of bikes, and then he went, hey, what about this? And he took me up to Morgan & Wacker, who are the Harley dealers here, and we had a look at this Sporty, which is the bottom, like the entry-level um, Harley bike. Uh, but it was a 1200, um, 1200cc, which is great because the the harley engines are only 1500 and change anyway so Mm -hmm. it wasn't too bad it's a light kind of frame um and i went yeah it's pretty good isn't it he went yeah it's pretty good um and we took it for a test ride and that was all good and i came back oh michelle i think i found the bike how much and it was like oh and and she basically turned to my mate who took me he said will it get him out of trouble if he gets into trouble (laughs) he went yeah um okay done deal uh, nice. So that was, we. The, the salesperson didn't even play into it in that situation. And then when I replaced it with the bike I currently have, which is due to be replaced, I can't afford to, um, 
I, I had done all of the research online. I know what I, I knew what I wanted walking into the place. And the only thing the salesman tried to do was talk me up, up a model, which would have put me up about five grand um, as far as, you know, increments in, in different sort of things. And I went, no, no, this is the one I think I need to go with. This is fine. Um, I, I, I didn't have, well, I technically had a trade, so they gave me a reasonable price on that. Um, I say technically because I'd had a, a, an accident I'd been run into and they Ooh. were fixing it under insurance. Yep. And yep. I said, you guys know what the value of the bike is. This is what I got. This is the thing. When it's fixed, what's it going to be worth? And we agreed that the, the price they gave me was totally reasonable. I went, great, I'm taking that. Take it off that price. What 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 is left for me to pay? Um, and it was simple. Like they, My only experience of sales in that was the one vendor though. Because yeah, in a Harley see, situation, you don't have heaps of places to go to. No. And having you know, gone into a range of different bike shops over the years even just like looking for bits and pieces like gear and stuff like that yeah yeah like the the you, well, you, you think you get judged the car yard right <laughs> <laughs> that is nothing nothing compared to the level of judgment that you get buddy in a uh, in some of these motorcycle shops um what's and not like i think that's bad again so bad for some women in some of these shops like Oh, I can't even imagine. One place I went to, the only protective gear that they had that was in like proper sizes for women was all pink. Oh, <laughs> because if you're a woman, obviously you're going to want to have pink leathers. Yeah, but that's <laughs> not just, just that's not just, just no other gear. <laughs> that's not just the bike yard though, or the, that's the the manufacturers. No, but no, but the manufacturers make women's gear in like normal colours, but just this Some one per- place. This Look, one it, place had decided that all that they were yeah, going to do was, was like, pink. stock pink stuff. Was, I mean, it oh. is 2017 and things have improved, but I, I would guess that the claims and the broad gestures that I've made slighting um, car salesmen <laughs> have to extend to any mechanical salesperson. I like, think it's you're just sales. something with an engine in it. No, not... No way. Because I think look, that when we talk about... Yeah, look, look at land rats. They're not exactly, you know, paragons of... Ugh, yeah, I, but I think we've all worked out the, the, the issues and we see through that because that is the, the that is the biggest expense you'll ever make in your life is buying a house. Yeah, so no, to that it's, end, it's it's still it's still horrible. It, the, oh yeah, they're uh, pathetic human beings. There's no question. <laughs> like um, the the high, some of the high pressure tactics that are used in in real estate sales are just oh, toxic and Absolutely. horrible. And and the stuff that they that. Like, and the thing is, it's not just the stuff that they force on the people who are buying the homes. A lot of the times, the worst behaviour from a lot of real estate agents is actually uh, against the vendor. Cause, you know, yeah, we've because, got to make the sale. Yeah, exactly, because they're working on commission. Drop the price, we've got to make the sale. Yep. Because, I still get my 10% or whatever it is, or 2%. Exactly. But it's just like, I, I'm only missing out on 200 bucks if you drop it from... Two hundred grand to one hundred and eighty grand. Exactly. I, I don't care, right? That's I'll make that up on my next sale. Yep. You, however, have just dropped twenty thousand dollars. You know, so the, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's horrible. And there's a lot. More, and the other thing with homes is there. By the way, so who would much... buy a house at two hundred thousand dollars? Please. <laughs> my little sister bought a two bedroom unit here in Albury, and it cost more than our three bedroom house. Oh. Now again, again, there, there's a you know there's. Uh, a decade or so, and a, uh, actually, yeah, about, about a decade's difference between when we bought. But even so, it's just like, oh, that just seems so wrong. 
and we we've still got our old unit, which is a block away from Lisa's one, and it was about a quarter of the price. Oh, you yeah, but this is the craziness, it's right? Toxic. But um, what was I going to say? But yeah, but there's like so much emotion in real estate as well, because like you know whether it's the house you're selling or it's the house that you're buying, like you know if it's the house that you're selling, like if it was your home there is so much of you invested in there there is so much emotion oh. there are so many memories and if you're buying you know you're, you're, you're placing your hopes and dreams on this place as you know a big part of your future and that Don't just gets it, me, dude. that gets like, exploited so horribly but maybe this is where I, I've got some confidence right I, I know more about housing and about you know, the bones of a house and what to look for and those sorts of things. Compared to a car, no idea, right? I know, sit in a car, works, it goes, point in a direction, press a pedal, it goes fast. Um, houses, I know the things to look for and I'm also aware to a degree of pricing trends in an area and what's reasonable as a price and, and those sorts of things um, to, to kind of see through some of that high-pressure bollocks. And given that it's so much money, I've got no issue. Like, if you're going to tell me that this house costs $1.6 million dollars, Thanks, it's been nice walking through someone else's house. It's going to stay someone else's house. Um, But if we were looking for a a place for ourselves, and we have toyed with the idea of selling the house we're in and going somewhere else because my lovely wife would love to live on a larger block of land. We're currently on 450 square meters. Mm -hmm. um, Because when we were looking to, to build and buy, in the area that we were looking to buy, you couldn't just walk up and buy a block of land. It was a lottery to buy a block of land. Oh, boy. Um, such was the interest in the area. Yep. You had to go and register. Uh, and when your name came out, you could pick of the release whatever blocks weren't already bought. Mm-hmm. And you had to pay your $1,000 that day. And you didn't have to pay the rest until the, the land was ready, which in our case was nearly 12 months. Oh, um, God. But that, was, that, that suited our timeline, right? That was fine. And then as soon as it was ready to go, we started building. That gave us an extra 12 months to design a house that fit on our block. We have a friend who's an architect. So the house that we've built is like nothing else in our area. It's not standout horrible, but it's just different to the door, sorry, garage door, window, front door, window houses. Yep. Um, And it's built to suit our purposes and it's totally fine. Um, But it's on a small block and my wife would like a little more distance between us and not just our neighbours, any neighbours. So that's difficult and expensive in Brisbane unless we want to move to Opboona. Um, yep. which makes the commute a nightmare. Uh, so or, it's not or, really or practical. Unless, unless you want to find, you know, somewhere on a massive block closer to the city that you are, as you say, going to be paying billions of dollars for. Well, with the, there is a place, like, honestly, not even a kilometre from us, because uh, next to our suburb, they're just starting to open up and grow up, but it is reasonably lots of hobby farms and a sort of large-ish, lots of acreage kind of properties. Mm-hmm. And there was a place that we went, look, that's not too bad and we could buy it and, and live in it the way it is and do a little bit of reno and turn it into something even different, nicer the, to the way we want. Because that's the compromise, is that you buy someone else's house, unless you're exactly with, exactly happy with exactly how it is, you need to change things so that involves more work, more cost. Um, but the problem was that they wanted like 1.2 for it. And we went, there's no way that house is worth 1.2. It has to be the fact they've got this huge block of land. Mm-hmm. Um about the same distance from the city as us. Um, that's reasonably clean and tidy and clear and all of the rest of it. But it was just frustrating that that's the case. Anyway, but selling this house, um, if we ever go down that path, when we go down that path, will be a nightmare because it is. this is the house that we brought 
well, one of our kids home to, and the other one was only six months old when we moved in. We were intending to bring him home to mm-hmm. uh, when he was born. So they've only known this place as their home. Um, and we put a lot of effort in the design of it to make it be what we want it to be. So unloading it when we need to unload it will be, yeah, uh, difficult. <laughs> Letting anyone else live in it, i.e. if we owned it and rented it out, would be, oh, I pity the people that moved in. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you'd be a bad landlord, Stephen? I, I would be fine. <laughs> We would definitely need uh, a real estate agent in between them and us. <laughs> well, you think Michelle might be doing drive-bys to make sure it was being looked oh, after? 100%. <laughs> like, when we go occasionally through uh, Urala, yep. uh, we always do a diversion to go and see the state of the place that she owned, and it hasn't owned for 17 years, <laughs> just to see what's doing. What's going on there? Oh, yeah. that's, that's, that's brilliant. That is really, really great. Well, sp- speaking of houses, did I tell you that our bathroom, like, I, I did. I tell you our bathroom sort of try- tried to, you know, bloody bring down the house just before Christmas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, we we finally have a date. We're uh, we're getting the the bathroom renovated, and yes. that's supposed to start after Anzac Day. Well, in the last couple of weeks, more things in the bathroom. It's it's almost like they know it knows that there's an end date. Like, yes. Uh, all of the, like the doors have fallen off the vanity. Um, <laughs> more stuff has like started like more tiles have started falling off the wall in places and oh, all sorts gosh. of stuff. It's just like you know that's it. I've given up. <laughs> it's, it's heaved and that's enough. It's like it's done. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Oh. So at the moment our bathroom, which again is in 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 any modern house, our bathroom would not even pass as an ensuite. But uh, it it is just uh, inching its way forward, you know, and we just sort of keep going, one more week, one more week. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's, our, again, our house, we've had it for, like, it's a, it's a, it's a built in, it would have been built in the 60s, and we've had it now for uh, 14 years. We We redid the kitchen two years ago. Uh, and now the bathroom's got to go. And we, look, we apart from doing the kitchen, we had done almost nothing to the house. Like the the, the big expense we p- uh, put into the house was uh, putting solar panels on it a few years back. Yeah. Um, but in terms of other you know, keeping it going, like it's overdue to be painted. Like it's just so many things. Like it's it, it's lovely having an old house because we we like it has character and we love the location yes but, but you also look at like things that aren't square and bits that are sagging and you're just like oh that's just gonna be such a nightmare to fix yeah oh look and i'm not handy like that's the other angle on this the house buying thing like i know which end of a paintbrush works um but i don't know how i, I just haven't tried like, I could probably paint a room. I've watched enough the block in my life to know how to cut in and all of the rest of that rubbish. Um, but I also just look at it and go, it's just so much effort. Can't I just pay someone to do it? Well, the good news is you can. But <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the bad news is you need to have the money. <laughs> my parents always laugh because my dad's a very handy kind of guy and would do and paint and build and fix and mechanical everything. Um, they, always la- they always laughed at a friend of ours who was a, a high school teacher, went to church with us. Uh, like, oh, he paid someone to change the blades on his mower. And at the time, I just went, 
Well, if he doesn't know how, why can't he? Oh, everyone should know how to do that. I'd pay someone to change the blades on my mower. I've no freaking idea how to do that. <laughs> I'm sure it's quite simple, you know. But it's just, just the issue. I'll, like I, I'll watch YouTube any, videos on how to do it. <laughs> there was never any interest. Like when my dad showed my brother how to change a, like I know how to change a spark plug. Don't get me wrong. Um, I've helped him change the oil on our car more than enough that I probably could work out how to do it myself. But I just have no inclination. No interest. Well, see, you know what the problem is now? It's not the, how do I change the oil on my car? It's, how do I environmentally friendly dispose, dispose of, of this yeah. oil? <laughs> like, what, what do I do with this? Oh, yeah, no, Dad had the tub of oil that just collected over time that I don't know where it went. <laughs> it ended up somewhere. Yeah, yeah funnily enough, uh, the landfills aren't, aren't really uh, crash hot on just taking drums of used oil anymore. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's the environmental charge that you see on your bill every time you get your car service nowadays. Yep. Oh, dear. Oh. We have so many problems to solve, Dave. So, so many. I don't know. Look, look at, at least at least we haven't solved cars and houses today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, next time I need to find out from you mm-hmm. um, how you and Rach met, given if she was living in Tari and you were in, in Varel slash Armadale. Oh, you and I. When she went to... Well, so why were you, dro- were you just driving her back after uni? Yeah, well, that was quick. Whole, 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 whole there you go. Oh, look, look, listen. There are there are actually some good stories around how I met Rach. So, you know, you you, you write that on on a card to remind you for next time. I'll put it on the whiteboard. All right. <laughs> I will see you later, Stephen Mogg. Thank you, Dave Gorg. I love you. Love you too. Bye.